We're reading from Acts 9, starting with verse 20, speaking of Saul after his conversion. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this man, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for that purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went Here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, There was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, They took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him and were weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then... Calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. You may be seated. I ask if you would, if you would join me in a word of prayer as we begin looking at the word this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for each opportunity that you place before us. Pray this morning that we would prayerfully consider the opportunities that you might give to us and be ready to speak on your behalf as you provide occasion for testimony. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to set apart Christ. As Lord in our hearts, always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks us the reason for the hope that lies within us. And to do so with meekness and with a fear of who you are and all that you have done. Fathers, you direct us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray we would have courage to follow, trusting in you for all things, seeking first, as the word calls us to, your kingdom, seeking first the kingdom of God 
I pray we would seek you wherever you plant us. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk in obedience to your word and to be on the lookout for the opportunities you have for each of us as carriers of the gospel truth. May we take full advantage of each opportunity that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted and lifted up on high, that all men might come to know who this Jesus is that we serve. We thank you for the opportunity to be used by you, and I pray we would be good stewards of the time that you give to us here. I pray we would be found faithful. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we look at Acts 9, 32 through 43, a big idea that I want to put before you right at the beginning, and I'll, I'll probably uh, repeat it a few times here as we go throughout uh, the message this morning. But obedience to the Lord opens opportunities from the Lord. Obedience to the Lord opens opportunities from the Lord. And you know, I was uh, once again reminded of that this past week as I uh, had an opportunity to spend some, some time in a, in a dorm room with some 220 campers this past week, basketball camp. And I was, I was amazed at how God used the week how the Lord opened opportunities during this past week. On Tuesday night, I had an opportunity to lead a devotion time with our second floor, which, I don't know, I'm guessing maybe 75, 80 young people, ages 7 through 16, sharing some thoughts on a, a video that they'd just seen in Matthew chapter 6 and 7. So we were able to have some discussion. It's a very good discussion. Um, of some of the things that we saw and heard on the video from Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7. On Wednesday night, I was, I was asked to, to share and give testimony to the entire camp. And was able to do that by God's grace. And, and uh, what, a, what a wonderful opportunity was presented. I was able to share the gospel and speak about that bad news that's couched within the good news message. I was able to speak about sin, the very thing that separates each of us from relationship with Jesus Christ and was very specific and tried to be very clear with what this gospel is and their greatest need to come to know and believe upon the name of Jesus. There were a couple folks, that, a couple young people that came up following, and I was talking with one young man, a high school age young man, from where, where the building was over back to our dorm that night, and it uh, was just a, a great opportunity to be able to share and come alongside some of these other people and with the gospel, with the truth. And um, Thursday morning, uh, the, the new head coach there, that Taylor was, had asked me like on Tuesday if I could speak to the players. Every morning they always had a coaches meeting before things got going. And usually he would share some kind of devotional thought with the players before the day started. And so he was asking me if Thursday morning if I could share with them. And so I was able to, to do that on Thursday morning to speak to the players and encourage them on what, what their role is and, and really grounding their role in, uh, in the scripture and looking at Corinthians chapter 12 and and how each part of the body is an important part of the body. And, and so we kind of went out from there. And then Friday morning had an opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the new head coach up there. And uh, what a blessing that was to be able to, to sit and to hear him speak. And also for him to ask for input on my end as a former player to just about Taylor Camp, about Taylor Basketball, about the university. And I was able just to freely share with him about the priority of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and how much that matters. That basketball is a game and it's all going to go back in the box. It's all going to go away. But a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is the bigger purpose, the bigger context in which this game of basketball sits. And so we must be about 
prioritizing this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to which he seemed to be in full agreement. And I'm excited to see how things are going to go there uh, with this new head coach who's going to be, he's very young. And I'm just excited about that and excited about the opportunity this past week to be able to speak for the Lord. You know, when, when the word of God is ready on your lips to speak, when you delight in it, when you delight in the one who has given this word to you, he's going to open a door of opportunity for you to be a witness to Jesus. That's Acts 1.8, right? Acts 1.8, we keep going back to it, but I'm going to keep going back and we'll keep hammering it because it's the, it's the outline for the entire book of Acts. It's the outline of how we're to live this life in Christ Jesus. Wait for the power, Jesus said at the end of Luke's gospel. And then when the power comes from on high, you are to use that power to be witnesses to me. That's what we're to be about. A witness to Jesus. There's joy in knowing that God has used you. You you all have probably been in similar situations where you've had opportunity to share with someone, to speak the gospel truth with someone. And isn't there great joy in being used by God when when you have those opportunities? You walk away from that and, and your heart just is overflowing with joy. You're rejoicing that you get to be used by God to proclaim his gospel truth. It's a joy like none other, church. Knowing that his word's gone out, that you have had privilege of proclaiming his name. There's rejoicing in knowing his promises that as his word, see, here's the confidence we have in in God's word, not in us, in God's word. Because see, the word says that when his word goes out, that it's not going to come back to him empty and void but it's going to accomplish the very purpose for which it goes out. So here's the confidence we can have in that promise. See, when we're wondering what, we, what we're going to share, when we try and come up with our, our best laid plans, if you will, what we need to be sharing, when there's a doubt, when there's concern over what to share, what to do, let me just give you a real simple piece of advice from the Word. Open the Word and allow the Word to speak. Read the word. This is the word that has the power to say. Amen? This word has power to say. This is the word we need to be reading. This is the word that needs to be readily available. Opportunities present themselves from the Lord as we walk in obedience, church. I shared a bit about my week this past week. But how about you this past week? Did you think much of the Lord, how you might best point others to him this past week? Where the Lord planted you, did you operate in obedience to what he would have you do? You know, some of you might be saying, well, I just don't seem to have those kinds of opportunities that you spoke of. It'd be great if doors would open, but I, I haven't seen any of those doors open up lately. To that, I would ask perhaps a couple questions. Is it possible that your lack of obedience has something to do with your lack of opportunities? Is it possible that your neglect of his word has kept you on the sidelines ineffective the kingdom of God? Is it possible that you have tried to control and manipulate things and that in doing so you've been blind to how God desires to use you? Is it possible that you have embraced the things of the world over and above the things of God? Have you been about training yourself in godliness of late or has ungodliness? And and before we get into, you know, what is ungodliness, simple definition. Living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God. Or of God's will. Or God's glory. Or of one's dependence on God. Has ungodliness been your mode of operation? The text today here in Acts 9 shows a direct connection, I believe, between one's opportunities from the Lord and one's obedience to the Lord. Obedience to the Lord opens opportunities from the Lord. 
If we look at the beginning here, this first section in 32 through 35, we're going to see that Peter's obedience moves him to Lydda. His obedience moves him to Lydda. It's important the text says here, Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country, that it came, also came down to the saints who dwell in Lydda. If we just take the first part of verse 32 for a moment. Here's what we notice. That Peter was already on the move. As Peter went through all parts of the country. Peter had been ministering. Peter had been preaching. He had been teaching. In fact, if we go back to Acts chapter 8, we see right after Stephen is martyred, Saul was consenting, verse 1, chapter 8. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So Peter was hanging out along with the other apostles in Jerusalem at this point. We see, if we keep moving in Acts chapter 8, remember, those in Samaria heard the word and they believed, and who came? Peter and John. Peter speaks to Simon the sorcerer, and then verse 25 of Acts 8. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, Peter and John, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So you see, they're going back to Jerusalem, but in route back to Jerusalem, they're preaching in many Samaritan villages the gospel truth. And we keep reading, and we've covered the story, the account of Philip and the Ethiopian. And we saw the account, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And now we get to the end of chapter 9. And we see now that in verse 32 of chapter 9, the text implies here that Peter had been traveling. Peter had been on the move. Peter had been about doing what the scattered church was already doing. Preaching the word. Acts 8 verse 3, right? 4. Talks about everywhere they went. What were they doing? Preaching the word. Peter is doing just that. He is on the move. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's helping as the Lord leads him to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Peter's arrival in Lydda is connected to his purpose for Christ, what he is to be about. Lydda is yet another opportunity for God's power to get manifested. Peter arrives in Lydda out of obedience to proclaim the name of Christ. In fact, that's the pattern we see in the book of Acts. That when one is going someplace, when Peter goes somewhere, and later when Paul goes on his missionary journeys, we're going to see an encounter next summer, Lord willing. Acts 16, Paul is going a direction and the Holy Spirit says, stop. Not there, over here. And he goes over here and stop, over here. pattern that we see modeled in the book of Acts is a life lived out, a life that is a life led by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks, Paul and company are listening. And they move in that direction. Peter's life is no different. And I believe as we take the whole of Acts, we come to see that that the apostles and the believers, the disciples of Christ, they were moving as the Holy Spirit was moving, where the Holy Spirit was leading. There's a reason why Acts 9.31 says, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. They were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to see that. Important for us not only to see it, but it's important that we model that as well. As a church. Well, we see in, at the end of verse 32, he also came down to the saints. That's important. He came down to the saints who, who dwelt in, in Lydda. It's very possible when you look at Acts chapter 8. Philip, remember Philip just was gone after he baptizes the eunuch. And at 8, verse 40, says, Philip was found at Azotus, but pa as, he, as passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. If you look on your map, you, you begin to see from where he was at in Gaza to where he was going in Caesarea. Along that way, perhaps he stopped 
Perhaps he ministered to a group of people in Lydda. Perhaps he ministered to a group of people in Joppa. Because there seemed to be already believers there. There's a group of believers gathered here. And so very well, Philip could have had an influence, a gospel influence upon these folks here in Lydda. He comes and he's dwelling among the saints. Notice the text says in verse 33 that he intersects with, he finds a certain man named Aeneas. Aeneas is described as bedridden, a paralytic. Been bedridden eight years. It's interesting that these four verses are here in the text. 32, 33, 34, 35. This man who, this certain man, he, he found, he, he, he came upon this certain man. As he's walking in obedience, he goes even down to the saints in Lydda. And he comes upon a certain man named Aeneas. You know, it's interesting when you read the account here of Peter, because there are many things in this passage in 32 through 43 that speak to some of the same things Jesus Christ himself encountered. Right? If you remember the Gospels, you might recall that Jesus himself encountered uh, a paralytic in Mark chapter 2. And I just read a few of those verses in Mark chapter 2. Remember they were, uh, the religious folks were there and they were all upset because Jesus was saying, son, your sins are forgiven you. And, and they had a real hard time with that because they didn't see Jesus, you see, as God. And so Jesus says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God. See, that's the, that, that's the point. That's the purpose. Is that God would get glory. Drawing all men unto the Father. We never saw anything like this. So we see this happens in the life of Jesus and now Peter himself finds this Paralytic man, bedridden for some eight years. And in verse 34, he proclaims the source of... This seems to be a, a, a present tense healing. I want you to notice this in the text. Notice what he says. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. <laughs> Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. You know, what's interesting is I was thinking about the source of the healing. Jesus, the Christ. Isn't he the source, the true source of all healing? Huh? Acts 3. We stay in the book of Acts. You remember when the lame man at the gate called Beautiful... Remember when he was healed and the people were all amazed and oh, they all came around Solomon's porch and they were just amazed. Peter says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? He goes on verse 16. And his name, that's the name of Jesus... His name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him, this lame man, once lame, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Who's responsible for the healing? Healing happened in his name, the name of Jesus. If you fast forward even into chapter 4. Remember, they are arrested. Verse 7, look at the question they ask him, the council. By what power or by what name have you done this? They want to know, how'd you do this? How'd this happen? By what name? 
Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, key phrase, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Isn't that great? You see, that was the name by which these healings took place. Same name right here in Acts chapter 9. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ, heals you. And notice he validates the proclamation with a command. How does he follow it up in verse 34? Arise and make your bed. Arise and make your bed. You know, what's interesting is I was looking back at Mark chapter 2 and how Jesus handled that situation there with the paralytic. In Mark chapter 2, verse 10, it says, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power or authority on earth to forgive sins. And as I was thinking about that and connecting it here in Acts chapter 9, the purpose for the healing, connecting the principle of Jesus' healing with the healing right here in Lydda, that those in Lydda may know that the Son of God has power has authority. You see, what, what Peter was doing was not intended to draw attention to himself. Peter was being used by the Lord and he saw himself as a vessel for the Lord to communicate, to speak on the Lord's behalf, to be obedient, to go where the Lord wanted him to go. And this occasion, he goes to Lydda and he sees this certain man who had been bedridden, this certain man. And it's interesting that Luke includes this account, isn't it? I mean, it's just a couple verses. And I'm sure Aeneas was not the only bedridden paralytic man in town. But yet we get this account of this one man and this one life that was changed because of obedience to the Lord. Look at Aeneas' immediate obedience, verse 34. After he says, arise and make your bed, the text says, then he arose immediately. Immediately. You see, God's power at work in your life. Church, this is something we need to, we need to hold on to and embrace. God's power at work in your life is immediate. Here we're talking about a physical healing, yes. Oftentimes in scripture, though, we do see both side by side. We oftentimes see a physical and a spiritual but even if not, if it's just a physical, we can also apply from a principal standpoint, from the spiritual aspect of him. It's applicable because you see when the spirit of God is abiding in you, there's immediate change. And the power fueling that change is immediate. What, what are you talking about? What are the ramifications in particular of a new life in Christ, spiritually speaking? The one that comes to mind here, just of, of, of recent note in the book of Acts, is 9, verse 20. We've read this verse the last few weeks. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Immediately. Immediately after what? After he was converted. After the Lord got a hold of him. After the Lord got his attention on the road to Damascus. Immediately. New life. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are ambassadors for Christ. As new creations in that same context. We are ambassadors. This is who we are. As new creations then we must walk in light of our new position in Christ. We are ambassadors. What kind of ambassador are you? Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, the Son of God, the one who loved me, the one who gave himself for me. So having been crucified with Christ, I now live by faith. There's, there's a present tense right now. I now live by faith in the Son of God, the one who gave himself for me. 
and loved me with a cross. Romans 6, 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When are you called to begin walking in this newness of life? If you are in Christ, you are empowered right now by the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life. Right now. Okay, right now. It's, 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 it's available right now. If you are in Christ Jesus to walk in newness of life. 1 John 4, 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. Why? For what purpose? That we might live through him. When does that start? When the spirit of God is poured out in our hearts. Romans 5, verse 5. That's when it begins. Living through him. Newness of life. To say that we are in Christ, church, ought to mean something. It ought to look differently. Well, we see God's power at work in verse 35. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon, notice there's another little town, little village that gets included here. Ripple effect. The gospel has that kind of effect, church. They saw, notice they saw him. They saw Aeneas. You know, that reminded me of one of the things Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good works and glorify the Father. See, there's a connection between your good works and allowing others to see those good works for the purpose, not so that they can put their arm around you and go, oh, wow, great job. No, for the purpose that they might see your good works and glorify your father. That, that what we're about doing is not to focus attention upon ourselves, but to focus attention where it needs to be focused, on the Father, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And see here in Acts chapter 9, we see God's power at work. All who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and... What? And turned to the Lord. You see, this one who had been bedridden, this one who had been paralyzed was now seen. He was now seen walking around, no doubt telling everyone what had happened to him. And this served for him as an occasion for testimony. And I want you to notice that seeing Aeneas led to a turning to the Lord. What do we mean by a turning to the Lord? That's code for repentance and faith, church. Repentance, turning from sin. Faith, turning to Christ. Trusting in Him for all things. Thessalonians, Paul writes chapter 1, 9 and 10. He's writing about the church and how, he says, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for His Son from heaven. You see, they turned from idols and they turned to God. By God's grace, they did that. That wasn't on their own. That wasn't their own good idea. No, the Lord opened their eyes to be able to see some things. And they turned from their idols that they had been embracing and holding on to. And they turned to God to trust Him with their lives. You see, living out the gospel, being obedient to the gospel, and proclaiming Christ wherever the Lord may have you. The results of such living points others to the Lord. Praise God. Points them to the Lord. And you then are an instrument by which the gospel gets advanced. The very thing he's called you to do, Acts 1.8, to be a witness to Jesus with the power he's given to you. See, the impact of a transformed life in Christ. Others see, others are influenced for Christ Right now. And so your life in Christ, we need to be reminded, your life in Christ is not some private. Some people like to compartmentalize and make their life in Christ some private deal. Yes, it's a relationship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you this morning that your life in Christ is visible. People are watching you to see how you handle situations. To see how you go through hard times. 
to see what it means. What does it really mean to be a Christian? How does that person do this? Church, they're watching. Your witness is visible. What are they seeing in you? Well, Peter's obedience not only moves him to Lydda, but we see here in the text it's going to move him now to Joppa. We need to ask the question as we read 36 and 37, what is going on at Joppa at this time? At the time when, when, when Peter is doing ministry work in Lydda, there is over here at the same time in Joppa now something happening. Okay, something going on. There's a work happening. 36 and 37 tells us what that work is, what's happening. It centers on an individual, a certain disciple, right? A certain disciple. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. We are introduced to a, a woman who excels in good works. She excels... Charitable deeds. A disciple. A follower of Jesus. We read the next verse. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. We don't get the details of how that occurred or what specifically that was. But she became sick. She died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. That's the context that we have. That's going on while Peter's over here in Lydda, ministry. Now, verse 38, word gets out to the man of God. Notice this. Since Lydda was near Joppa, about 10, 11, 12 miles, depending upon different commentary sources, it's, it's somewhere in that range, 10 to 12 miles, Okay. Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there. I like that. They, they'd heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. So, there's these two men from Joppa. They traveled to Lydda, which was about, from what I can understand, about a three-hour, one-way walk. To put some context to it, okay? So they go probably in haste, in light of the situation. And they're going to find Peter. And they're going to implore. They're going to urge. They're going to beg. They're going to see if Peter can come and help in this situation. Because this woman, Tabitha, was lying dead in the upper room. Now, we push pause on the, on the account for just a moment. I don't, I don't know if this comes to light for you. Important part of the account. Tabitha had died. They washed her body, which was customary. Part of the Jewish custom also was in addition to washing, they would anoint the body and then they would bury the body. All we have here in the text is that they washed the body. And they laid the body in the upper room. And then they make every effort to go find Peter. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Because I, you know, the question, why the need to come quickly? Why are they sending these two representatives to go find Peter? I mean, she's dead. Do you see something beautiful in the text here? I believe one of the things that we're seeing, however small it may be, we are seeing these believers in Joppa operate in faith. Whether, whether they believed, you get the idea, they believed either in Peter, that Peter could make a difference, or, or they believed that the power, God's power working through Peter could make a difference. Whatever the reason, whatever the mindset was, they weren't quite ready to give up hope that Tabitha could just possibly be raised from the dead. There's hope. These people operated by faith. 
That's what I see in the text. There's the body. She's in the upper room. You know, I'm reminded of that faith in Romans. Romans 4. Being fully convinced that what God, what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. In the context of talking about Abraham. You see, because of his faith, it says in the very next verse in, in Romans 4.22, it was accounted to him for righteousness. How often in your life have you given up on something? And not shown any faith. In this instance, it would have been very easy for the people in Joppa. She's dead. You see, there's something about this woman, Tabitha. See... And this is something that I think is good for all of us as believers in Christ to to grab a hold of here. She was full of good works. She was full of charitable deeds, right? Tabitha is representative not only of a Christian, but she's representative of the kind of human being that the Lord has called us to be. A servant. Someone who thinks of others. She was missed not only because she was a woman of faith, she was a believer in Jesus Christ, I believe she was missed because of her works of service, her ministry to people, her her ministry to see with the eyes of the Lord needs of these widows, needs of the people around her. Oh, church, I, I hope and I pray that for each one of us here, that when that time comes for us to pass, to be with the Lord, I pray that, that, that people would not just simply say, so-and-so was, was, was a Christian. I pray that there's some substance there that they would be able to put some, some, some handles on what is it about that person that, that made him, showed himself to be a Christian. Because you see, if we are in Christ, the very next thing that's in order here, as a new creation, we are to be about serving others. And that's one of the things I learned I pick up from Tabitha. That was what her life was about. She was about that and she was missed in a great way. Peter goes with the men to Joppa. Look at verse 39. Peter arose. They, get, they find Peter. He arose and went with them. Obedience. I just think obedience. I, I love those little one-line sentences in the scripture. He arose and went with them. It sounds, sounds like just, you know, we skip by it. Don't skip by it. It's, it's an act of Obedience. He arose and went with them. He left his ministry over here in Lydda, which seemed to be going very well. All in Lydda and Sharon came, and came to see Aeneas, and they all turned to the Lord. You know, many, there, were, there was a lot of gospel work being done over here. These men come, they call him, they urge him, we need you over here. He leaves. He comes over here to Joppa. They take him to the upper room where their widows are gathered. And the widows, according to the text in the original language, it would lead us to believe not only that they were showing Peter what she had made, but the implication in the original language seems to say that they actually had on the very clothes that Dorcas had made for, for them. And they're weeping. And so here he is in the upper room. Peter, verse 40, how's he going to operate here? What's he going to do? He he operates according to the testimony of Jesus and the prophets. I want you to see this. He's not operating, coming up with his own good ideas. I believe because Peter was a follower of Jesus and he was able to see Jesus and how Jesus intersected in the lives of people. Here he is in the upper room. And I believe in this moment, he was probably reminded of the ministry of Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, verse 54, we see that Jesus 
in Luke 8, 54. This girl who was restored to life. Remember that? Jairus' daughter. It says, he put them all outside. Took her by the hand and called, saying, little girl, arise. He put them outside. We see the same pattern here in Acts 9. Matthew 9, 25, when the crowd was put outside. We see, so there, there were instances where Peter was around Jesus and he was able to see how Jesus ministered in a similar situation. Notice the text also says, not only did he put them all out, it says he knelt down and prayed. He knelt down and prayed. Mark 14, 32 through 35, which is the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You might remember, he went a little farther, the text says, and he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible... The hour might pass from him. Luke twenty two forty one. 41, that same context of the Garden of Gethsemane. He knelt down and prayed, the text says. And in speaking to the life of the prophets, 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, you might remember the account in 2 Kings chapter 4. The Shunammite woman and her son. Her son who had died. And Elisha the prophet. Starting in verse 32. Elisha came into the house. There was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child. He put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. And then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. I tend to think that Peter, knowing the prophets, knowing what Christ himself had done, he's patterning himself after the very things of Christ here. But notice that he speaks to... I, 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 had, I was stopped on this one and I, and I was thinking about this one. It says he put them all out, verse 40. He knelt down and prayed and then it says, and turning to the body, he said, Turning to the body, he said. You know, I was, I was looking at, at chapter 7 of Luke's gospel. I was reminded of another raising from the dead when Jesus encounters this uh, widow from Nain. And starting in verse 14, Jesus came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And that is truth. He had visited his people. He was among them. It was Emmanuel, God with us. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding regions. See the similarities here? You see, when there's healing such as this that occurs, and we see two of them right here in the text. One, a healing of a bedridden man, a paralytic, who was raised to be able to walk, raised to be able to speak. And then there's another who was raised from the dead. I was reminded when the text says, turning to the body, he said. We've got to remember, this body at this point is dead. I, right here, I was reminded of Ezekiel. You remember the account in Ezekiel? Ezekiel 37. Remember the valley of dry bones? You remember that story? Ezekiel 37. And just reading a few verses, starting in verse 3. Ezekiel, God said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? He shows him this valley of dry bones. Remember that? Bunch of dry bones in the valley. And he asks Ezekiel a question. Can these bones live? Now, here's a little learning for us. It's interesting, his response. You know, when God asks us a question like that, can these bones live? You know, you tend to, tend to want to give the, the right, answer, right answer. You know, and he says, I love his answer. Oh, Lord God, you know. <laughs> you know. You know. It's almost like he doesn't want to give a yes or a yes. You know. Well, look what follows. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Think about that for just a moment. He's 
calling Ezekiel to prophesy to a bunch of dry, dead bones. Prophesy to these bones. Here's what he's going to prophesy. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. You see, I was reminded of that particular account as I'm reading Acts chapter 9. And the text here says, in turning to the body, turning to the dead body. (laughs) She's lying there. Tabitha, arise. She opens her eyes. She's brought back to life. Text says that she sat up when she saw Peter. Verse 41 becomes very pivotal in the account. Because you see in verse 41, he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. That phrase right there has been one that's stuck with me. He presented her alive. Church, this is the core of the gospel. The account here in Acts 9, 32 through 43 is not only the power of God at work in Lydda and Joppa, but it serves as a reminder of what the gospel is. One who is dead has been raised to life. Amen? One who's dead has been raised to life. The Bible says that you were once dead in your trespasses. You were once dead in that upper room, spiritually speaking. You were lost and without hope. But God's grace entered onto the scene. And because of his great mercy and love toward you, he literally rescued you from your dead state. He transported you from darkness into the kingdom of light through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ, who died as your substitute on the cross and took upon himself your sins that you might become the righteousness of God in him. That's good news. You see, Peter, the man of God, presented Tabitha alive. It's God's spirit, church, working in you through your union with Christ. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. That enables you to do, as Romans 6.11 says, to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. My prayer, church, is that you would operate with an understanding of who God made you to be in Christ. Who God made you to be in Christ. You see, God, through Christ's atoning work at the cross, has initiated a reconciliation work by which to draw men unto himself and to present you, part of this has to do with presenting you alive through Christ by faith. Some of you are connected with Christ and have a relationship with Christ, but you're truly not alive. You're a walking dead person. What God did to see that you would be able to be made alive. Church, Christ went to the cross. He laid down his life. Not so that you and I could walk through life in a mediocre, apathetic fashion. But that we might live through him. That's 1 John 4, 9. God sent his son down here. He lived and he died that we might live through him. There's work to be done for his glory, for his purposes. Sometimes, and I'm fearful that this happens more times than not. Sometimes we get so focused and caught up in what we're about. We, we lose what God's purpose is for us. Praise the Lord, we got a text here today where Peter is obedient to go where the Lord has called him to go. He's obedient to preach and to teach. He's obedient in this situation to be the vessel through which God provides healing to a paralytic and to a woman who has been a great influence in a community of Joppa. Raises her from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, the text isn't over. Look at 42. And it became known. It became known. That's the phrase. It became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. It's important that you look at and you take verse 35 and verse 42. I believe those are parallel verses. We see what happened in Lydda as a result of Aeneas walking around. And we see here in verse 42 God's power at work. The buzz, if you will. Buzz at Joppa. What was going on in Joppa? And again, I point you to Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And praise your Father in heaven. You see, today, church, there are many things that attract attention. There are many things today that become known to you. All kinds of things clamor for your attention. Verse 42, I believe, is a reminder that when God's power is at work through obedient vessels, lives get transformed. The gospel spreads. One writer says that the gospel does spread. He says you can't stop it. The gospel is the sweet smell of true doctrine, a gospel centered in a gracious loving God who sent his son to die for our salvation. A message like that just can't be bottled up. If that message is bottled up in you or in your church, it's because you do not really understand it. You have not actually entered into it. See, if we come to understand this gospel truth, and what we're reading about in the book of Acts is this gospel moving forward, moving outward. This gospel, church, is not a program. This gospel is to be lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, wherever the Lord may place you. Look at, look at the end of 42. Many believed on the Lord. Parallel that to many saw an ASN, turned to the Lord. See, we need to understand that the way we live our lives is a witness to others. It speaks positively as a witness or it speaks negatively as a witness. It brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus or it profanes the name of Jesus. It does one or the other. Your life as a witness. Parents, your own children are being drawn closer to the Lord or they're being led further away from the Lord based upon your witness. Your witness, if you're in Christ. The question is, what kind of witness are you? Has it become known? Has it become known to your spouse and to your children that you are alive to God? Has it become evident to your family that you are walking in newness of life? And, and church, understand, what I'm advocating here is not that you have to have all the answers to everything. There is a process that the Bible speaks of. It's called sanctification. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And as we do that, the Bible says that it is God who works in us. And he is also going to be working and coordinating and orchestrating through us as we walk in obedience to what he's given to us. He's going to give us all that we need. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, we've been given everything we need for godliness and life. The Holy Spirit is, is the greatest resource and teacher available to us. Don't think that there's something else out there that you need. Colossians chapter 2 says, you are complete in Jesus Christ. Some of us need to be reminded of that. In Christ Jesus, you're complete. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Verse 43, final verse. Stay with me, we're just about done. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Praise the Lord for this verse because this verse gives us context for verse 6, chapter 10, which is coming our way next week. Because see, the Lord is going to be speaking to one Cornelius. He's also at the same time going to be speaking to Peter. But he's going to let Cornelius know where Peter is. He's, he's lodging at this time with a man named Simon, who happens to be, by vocation, a tanner. This tanner would be one who worked with dead animals. To the Jews would be considered unclean, right? Can't, can't be around that kind of a person. But, but church, see this. This verse sets the stage 
for what God is about to do with Peter, Cornelius, and the Gentile nation, the nations. The, remember, the gospel is moving forward out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, and eventually it's going to go to the very end of the earth. And we're at a very pivotal stage right here in the book of Acts. See, Peter's obedience to lodge with Simon the Tanner is about to open the door for yet another opportunity with the Gentiles. Here's a principle that that I think is important. God, God may be directing you to a place that makes no sense in the immediate. May not to you make any sense. On the one hand, you might really like where the Lord has planted you. You don't have... You don't have any ideas of going anywhere. You'd like to just be right here where you are. Thanks, but no thanks, God. I like it here. I just want to stay right here. Some of you, perhaps, that's where you're at. Some of you may be trying to figure it all out. You may be, you may be scratching your head trying to figure out why God might be moving you in this direction. And yet his leading in the present, think about this, his leading in the present, while it may serve a specific purpose for his kingdom, and oftentimes it does, his leading may actually be, see, I believe this is God's way of positioning you for future service. I want you to think about that. Where he is moving you now may not be where he's going to keep you long term. It may be the position he needs you to be in in order for you to go where it is he's wanting you to go. That's one of the things I see here at the end of this text. God has Peter in the position he needs to be in. And it's in Joppa. It could have been anywhere and God could have used it, right? There's nothing magical about Joppa, but it happens to be the place where this next event's gonna occur. He has set the stage. God's sovereignty is at work. He's orchestrating all things right here. I want you to see this. I want you to see that it's applicable to your life. You see, the Holy Spirit sent Peter into Lydda and Joppa, but for a time. It's in the midst of obedience, being a witness to Jesus, that the Lord oftentimes reveals additional opportunities. The opportunity God has next for Peter is going to further advance the gospel and open the doors for this gospel to move to the very end of the earth. And here's the thing. Peter doesn't know it yet. He doesn't know it yet. You and I have a little insight. We've got it all laid out here before us in the Word. Peter didn't know it. See, the opportunity God has next for Peter, his lodging at Simon the Tanner's house, is the precursor to yet another opportunity from the Lord. Church, you might be here today. Some of you, there may be individuals, maybe a few of you here, wondering about what's next in your life. Perhaps you're contemplating a new job. Maybe you're in the midst of a transition of some kind at home. Maybe you find yourself in a period of uncertainty, wondering how and where the Lord might need, lead you next. You, you don't know, but you're just in that period of uncertainty. The word of God speaks. I believe it to speak. Peter had been on the move. Remember, verse 32. He had been on the move. He had been walking in obedience. He'd been preaching and teaching. He'd been available. And he gets a call to go to Lydda. While in Lydda, he receives a call to go to Joppa. And he goes. And while lodging in Joppa, he is about to get a call to go to Caesarea, to the house of one named Cornelius. Obedience to the Lord opens opportunities from the Lord. Walk in obedience, church, and be alert to the opportunities God will place before you. He may take, here's the thing, he may take you one direction, he may lead you somewhere else, have you speak to one certain person in a particular location. You know, one of the things that I picked up this past week that I really liked, the coach was encouraging the guys while we were at camp, and he encouraged them to, to walk slowly through the crowd looking for needs. I like that. Walk slowly through the crowd. Wherever the Lord may lead you, walk slowly through and take a look and see. Who is it that needs to hear? Who is it that needs to be 
come, you can come alongside of and maybe inject a word of encouragement or, or maybe just offer a word of prayer for that person who seems to be down, seems to be going through something. Open a door of opportunity yourself as the Lord gives you opportunity. You see, in the midst of him taking you this way and that way and leading you and pointing you to talk to this person or that person, you know, he then may have you, and for some of you this may be true right now, he may, he may have you in a place of waiting. But perhaps the period of waiting has something to do with your next assignment. You too might spend many days in Joppa. That's what it says here. He stayed many days in Joppa. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Many days in Joppa. In the midst of your many days in Joppa, continue to serve the Lord. You see, he needs you where you are for the present and desires that you hear him and walk in obedience to his word even today. I want you to know, whatever your age, whatever your background, you have a part to play even today in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when he needs you somewhere else in the days ahead, be ready to join him in the work that he has prepared for you. Be ready. Let's pray. Father, I pray for this church. Pray that we would together walk in obedience to your word. Father, there are many things clamoring for our attention. And I pray, Father, that our focus and our energies and our attention would be upon what you would have us to be about doing according to your word. Father, may your word be uplifted. I pray that obedience would matter. That we would take what we know to be true from your word. That we would walk in that truth. That we would encourage one another along the way. We would edify one another. We would build each other up. We would stir one another up toward good deeds. That we would be most concerned with the things that you are most concerned about. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of the gospel. This gospel that has power to save. Move us. Change us. Redirect us. As you see fit, Lord, and may we as a church align ourselves with what you're doing and what you have spoken already in your word. Oh, what joy there is when we are walking in the light of your word. Thank you for the example in the text today. And I thank you for Peter and the life that he shows forth, this life of obedience, his life of Sacrifice, willing to give of himself, give of his time, give of his energies that others might hear, that others might come to know the power of God. Thank you for the gospel truth. I pray as a church we would stand firmly upon that gospel truth that you've given to us in your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who himself is the word, is the life, is the truth. We are grateful for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.